Hello again, everybody. Welcome to today's Scope of Practice podcast, the product of the Connecticut Certification Board. We continue on with our fourth season of addressing anything and everything of interest to professionals in the substance use disorder prevention, treatment, and recovery industry. The importance of social skills and connections have long been known in one's recovery. Social skills help you connect with others, and living with a substance use disorder is often the equivalent of living in isolation. When we look at the social determinants of health, which are the non-medical factors that affect health incomes, including recovery, the importance of social and community contextual factors are outlined. Many of the things that people enjoy involve easy, easy access to alcohol and or drugs, and they are often built into the context of the event, especially for music and sports fans. Uh, part of some of these events, people in recovery are inundated with advertising about alcohol, as well as being in the midst of many who are actively drinking and drugging with constant triggers hitting them in the face. So how do we change this? Tailgating can add tremendous social opportunity for food, fun, and fellowship and add to the overall event experience, but the idea of it has been co-opted to include alcohol. Does it have to be that way? Our guest today says no and is actually offering an alternative. Duke Rumley is a businessman, father, music and sports fan, and Notre Dame fan. I have to add that because that's most important. And in long-term recovery since 1989. In 2018, he and his daughter, Jordan, founded Sober AF Entertainment in Colorado with the goal of providing a safe place for people of like minds who did not want to drink or be around others drinking while still enjoying a sports event or music performance. In only their first six months, they had hosted 30 events serving over a 1,000 people. We're a little further down the road than the first six months. I'm glad to have Duke join the program. Duke, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. I greatly appreciate it. And that was a great intro. Got me all fired up. <laughs> so let me start with this. I did a little bit of research, and I know that you are a big fan of the Grateful Dead. Uh, can you tell me how... Uh, they held on or they they fed into your uh, decision to focus on providing sober and supportive social events for people. What role did the Grateful Dead play? Um, shockingly, a very big role. So um, I saw 15 Grateful Dead shows um, between 87 to 89 when I did get sober. And that was... Uh, you know, very impactful to me. I really fell in love with the band, traveled with the band a little bit. And then while I was, um, you know, still doing drugs and drinking, saw that there was a sober support group inside the Grateful Dead called the Wharf Rats. And I never attended their meetings, but there was a little seed planted in my head. And then in May of 89, I'm dragged to treatment. Um, there was a part of me that just said, well, you know, if if I can still go to Grateful Dead shows and be sober, sober, normal dude, but still, you know, go to three shows at the end of every month, then this would be tolerable, right? I was not excited about it getting sober. I was excited about the DUI stopping and uh, being the black sheep of the family shop stopping. That was really um, what I was most excited about. And I thought maybe I could stay sober a month or maybe a month and a half, but didn't see it happening for very long. Um, but there was this a little extra incentive that I could still go and do cool shit, right? That was kind yeah. of the bottom. I could still do cool things. Um, and I think that's the number one reason why people relapse is self-pity 
And it's really regarding, you know, you don't know how to have fun sober and it's awkward. And, um, and if you don't go out and do fun things and stay home, you're going to be miserable. And for me, if I was miserable, I was going to drink. So it was imperative that I learned how to have fun, um, and found community in the kind of this pro social lifestyle and early sobriety. Um, so the, that, and that group's been around since like 83 and they were kind of the original uh, gangsters of sober recovery um, at festivals and at bands was this uh, amazing group uh, Warf Rats. Mm-hmm. Did the Warf Rats play a role or influence um, how you developed uh, sober AF entertainment? Um, they did, uh, you know, so what happened was 30 years later, um, I'm having these issues with my kids and their name and their community. And um, as a guy who, you know, was 30 years sober or 28 years sober, I always kind of felt like, you know, we could do a better job. And if somebody had given me a magic wand, what would I think we could do as a community better? It was always, you know, how do we do this? Um, you know, people seem to relapse, at least that I have seen, and even in my own recovery, when I was most likely to relapse was between, you know, three and nine months. Um, I went to treatment for a short period of time and struggled to find kind of a community and found some community, but my brain was still wired that drugs and alcohol were fun and, uh, just kind of what that dream would be is, you know, some type of recovery support that helped me in that first year. Um, so really, I think the thinking was, you know, if we were to develop a something fun, teaching people how to have fun between three and three months and 12 months um, and kind of walk them through it and what it looks like, that was kind of done for me at that early period of my sobriety that I think we could help people get to a year. And if they get to a year, the likelihood of them relapsing greatly is reduced. Um, but man, that first year, you know, in my own case, I just even being in the backseat of a car and just driven by a bar, my head would turn, you know, it, it, I was just so mentally um, challenged with this blank spot when it comes to drugs and alcohol. And, you know, 49% of me wanted to drink and 51% wanted to stay sober. And, you know, I kind of needed uh, a lot of support to kind of keep that 51% charged up and grow it to 60 and then hopefully grow it to 70 and then, you know, grow it to 80. But man, it was, you know, a bad day and uh, uh, drinking was suddenly a, an option. And um, so I would say the big part of the Grateful Dead's Wharf Rats was just kind of planting the seed like you know it's not for everybody that's not but man we there's a large community that still needs to have fun and early sobriety can be really awkward and there's um you know a lot of different ways i had a lot of different support there was young people in aa there was obviously alcoholics anonymous there was a very loving family um that really kind of supported you know uh, me staying sober um, I think a new, uh, went to a new college at three months sober and that probably helped a great deal. Just having a new environment. Um, you know, I'm very blessed that I was able to stay sober at 21 and, uh, start, uh, kind of learning how to live without alcohol and drugs, even though I've got this blank spot when it comes to, I can't drink and, 
Um, if I don't have some type of active reminder of that, um, uh, I have seen others drink and, uh, and then blow up their life and have an abnormal reaction once they start drinking. So, um, you know, trying to keep that guy at bay because even, you know, at 55 years old, um, I still have a lot to lose and, um, and, you know, staying close to different recovery support. I realize that. One of the things I find interesting overall is that, you know, kind of in the field, we talk about the need to change people, places, and things. And we look at that as being across the board instead of realizing there are things that we want to get back to. You know, if you had an interest in something before you were actively involved in a substance lifestyle, and that was something that made you happy then, why would we not want somebody to get back to that? Right. If it was so, if it's music and I find it incredibly interesting that a lot of this revolves around or that the Grateful Dead has such a big community of folks in recovery that want to support each other because of the the band is no, uh, you know, kind of associated with the drug culture. But it's if somebody enjoyed baseball, football, music of any kind, why not bring that back? But we often forget that. And um, forget that individuality of something. And I think what you're doing is is saying, let's get back to what you like, but let's do it safely so that you can enjoy it even more than you used to. Is that am yeah. I accurate it, or am I kind of? Yes. So what I learned from that first couple of years of going to Grateful Dead shows um, sober um, was, you know, I did originally go back with some friends from high school and, you know, they were still drinking and smoking weed and, I was drinking Pepsis and smoking Marlboro Reds and um, and I'm very grateful they let me continue to be with them. I wasn't like kicked out of the group because I got sober and that was important. But what I also learned, like it was more fun to bring a sober wingman with me. Um, so after about six months, um, I found some people in the recovery community who are also into the Grateful Dead and it just was, was a lot more fun. Um, not that everyone in the group had to be sober, but that if I had a sober wingman with me, somebody understood what, you know, what was going on. And, and even to this day, it's, um, New Year's Eve, we were at a music festival called Decadence in Denver and somebody around me was smoking weed and, um, you know, I kind of elbowed my buddy. I'm like, man, that smells good. And then I realized I was like almost sniffing the air too much. You know, like there was a part of me that uh, was like, wow, that really smells good. And, it was, you know, and what did I do? I talked about it and then went to meetings the next couple of days and still talked about it. And, you know, there's just a I, I got this really weird mental health issue that um, anything I kind of keep in the dark like that uh, will come back and bite me in the butt. So, um, you know, it was just great having a community there that. I could kind of turn to and they understand the amazing downside that if I were to smoke that weed, you know, what happens next is typically really bad. And it ends up with a car that's wrecked and, um, you know, burning in, uh, the community around me to the ground. And, um, so I'm grateful I'm able to go have the fun without burning the, the, my whole life to the ground in, in a short period of time. When you started the organization in 2018, what was your initial vision? Um, so the initial vision was like, hey, there is a great need and a great want for people to 
have a sober tailgate uh, before events. Um, and we just really threw the tailgates before concerts and threw yellow balloons up out of the back of the trunk of our car, had some food, got some community together, and it was, you know, 15 people. And then um, we did a Colorado Rockies game. And nobody gave us permission. We just said we're doing a, a you know, sober support event before the game. And I called the Rockies and we got 120 tickets uh, discounted in the single section. And we sold out within about eight days. And that's when I was like, you know what? Um, I know this is a crazy idea, but man, it seems like there really is a want for this. Um, if we can just figure out a way to really communicate this um, and see if people, if it really does grow kind of naturally, um, I know how important it is to me. I think other people, if they come, will realize how important it is to them. Um, and then how do we you know, teach people how to host their own was really my one of my big goals early on. Here's a ridiculous question. Why didn't someone think of this sooner? <laughs> so it's funny. When I started this, I was like, I know this is on the East Coast, and I know this is on the West Coast. It's just not here. And that's why, but we're going to bump into somebody who does this exact thing at sporting events and at concerts. And we really haven't. Um, we, you know, there's certain uh, festivals and bands that have a little or have sober support. Um, there's collegiate recovery. So certain universities do a little better job of it. Um, but you know, they're really geared for just protecting the student. Uh, there's really not, uh, a non this that's geared for the, um, community, uh, just kind of the recovery community to host their own. I apologize for the dog barking, but people who listen to this program know that every now and then she wants to be heard too. Yes. Who let the dogs out? That's what she wants to say. <laughs> I can't let her out. She'll go after the neighbor. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I can see that while you're saying, well, we'll run into somebody. But it, it's it's the best ideas are always simple, uh, I think. And uh, this is one of them. Uh, it, it really created the the market was there, so to speak. Uh, the need was there. It's just that nobody was filling that need uh, because nobody stepped up to it. So uh, you had briefly mentioned your first organized event with the Yellow Blues. Can you tell us a little more about that, about, about the uh, where it was and that kind of thing? Sure. So um, our very first event was June 1st, uh, 19, I mean, yeah, uh, 2018. Um, and it was... Uh, a bass nectar concert. So it was a DJ, um, kind of like the Grateful Dead, a bit of a drug-induced crowd. Um, and uh, we threw a sober tailgate beforehand, had people at that, and then went in. And bass nectar uh, has a group of people that um, have uh, their own recovery support. So we went to their table and volunteered at their table. So that was kind of the extent of that and all sat together. Um, and so that was kind of, uh, our first big, uh, our first event ever. Um, and then I think we went to big head Todd and the monsters at, uh, Red Rocks and just went up to the upper North parking lot, threw up, uh, basically opened up the trunk of the car, had food and drinks, 
had a community meet there, and then we all went in, and it's general admission, so we all sat together for Big Head Todd. Um, and then we saw Judah the Lion um, in Fort Collins at a uh, outdoor festival, and then at the end of the month did the, the Rockies game and had that big 125-person uh, uh, section. And um, it, was, it, was, it was really cool just that we – just got lucky, found the right area to sit. Um, we're we're kind of down the first baseline, right where it hits um, the outfield, and we're kind of known to sit there now. Um, so that's uh, you know, just kind of lucky. Right out of the gate, we we were able to get it right, and we threw the tailgate at a sober gym um, that was maybe five blocks away, called the Phoenix Multisport, and. Um, it's uh, a nonprofit that's been around for a while. So um, we were able to do that. Kind of what we've learned is we need to add a little uh, education um, and we need to make sure people feel comfortable. So you got to have a lot of games, a lot of food. Um, you know, my daughter was teasing me. She's like, look, you like getting together and, and chit chatting and talking to everyone. Not everyone feels that way. Like we need some cornhole. We need. Um, you know, different uh, things for people to do, different games. Um, so when somebody walks up, it's just not this awkward, you know, sit around a group and, and talk therapy stuff. So um, it's good to have her um, part of the community and just letting, you know, me know what, what we're missing and what we can improve on. You know, I, I still struggle with playing cornhole because when I was a kid, we played jarts at tailgates. <laughs> Oh, now you can't have charts. So, <laughs> those lawn darts were the giant best. Darts up in the air and hope they would land in the right area. Yeah, yeah. I still, I still miss that. Uh, how has things evolved for the organization? Like, uh, do you have a kind of a typical setup or process you go through when you're going to have an event? So, um, you know, it has evolved in different areas. Uh, you know, the um, the college football games look a little different than music festivals that look a little different than um, different sporting events. Um, so college football, we've got a partnership with a group um, called Tailgate Guys, and they have set up tailgates at uh, about uh, 60 different universities across the United States. So they've already negotiated the spot and we'll have a big screen TV, tent, chairs, uh, coolers, everything set up so we can show up with either our, our own food and drinks or use local vendors for food and drinks. So we typically get our own because we know how to do things inexpensively and um, we'll get uh, local uh, treatment centers or collegiate recovery to sponsor the event. And ideally, we're just trying not to lose money on these uh, events. So we'll fly in, there'll be a big screen TV, there will be um, a tent set up. We know there's basically adult supervision around. So there is, you know, they're in charge of, and it's a little bit of a corporate feel. So we're not stuck next to a fraternity doing, uh, you know, um, keg stands and, and fight songs and, you know, doing beer pong all around us or, or being aggressive in any way. So um, that's what that looks like. We know what it's going to look like. We'll have a TV for anyone who doesn't have a ticket to the game um ideally we've worked with the university and got some discounted seats so we can manage a true sober section inside the venue um so that's really kind of a perfect perfect scenario 
we come in, we get discounted seats, we throw a nice tailgate beforehand with some local recovery support. Um, we'll have possibly a like a peer recovery coach or two speak at the event um, just to kind of educate the community what's going on. We might have a different recovery community organization um, speak about the free services or the services they offer in that area. And then also ideally have the legislator also speak about what they're doing on the opioid uh, crisis that's going on. Mm -hmm. And and then build some goodwill there and then I'll go in, have a good time, watch the game together. And uh, now they're part of a a new community and and they'll get emails from us. uh, And uh, ideally they'll take this um, event as permission to host their own. And then the following six months or year, they're hosting their own uh, recovery support events. I mean, that's an entirely great process that people can take it upon themselves, learn from what you do and and kind of fit it to their needs with the same goal overall. Uh, What's the largest venue you've ever held an event in? Um, So really where we've had the most traction is at uh, baseball games. Um, so we had a sober support tailgate at the Colorado Rockies where we had over 2000 people join us for the tailgate. Um, actually, actually the game, we probably had a thousand plus at the tailgate. Um, usually our community, uh, says they're going to show up and they have a hard time getting there on time. So we'll get about 50% of tickets sold. will show up for the tailgate. Um, but that one, we had 2000, uh, plus people RSVP with tickets, um, and, uh, it was a great event. Um, we were able to have a uh, personal long-term recovery, sing the national anthem. Um, we had the ownership of the Rockies come and speak at the event. Um, we've had different senators and the attorney general speak at our events. Um, so really that's kind of the goal is, um, there is a great need and a great want and, it's hard to do with zero funding. So how do we get a little bit of funding to be able to do stuff like this? And, you know, the um, AMA made sure that there was, um, you know, ramps for people in wheelchairs and they made sure that there was a no smoking section. You know, we would like a little support for a sober section mm-hmm. uh, and not that we need uh, much, but uh, it would be great that at the larger venues, there was a spot for folks who didn't want to be around whiskey drunk guy. And I think that is uh, part of um, our mission as far as really normalizing recovery and you know teaching people how to have fun sober is to really uh, fight for advocacy for recovery support um, at these uh, venues. Which leads me to my next question. I know you're doing something legislatively in Colorado with this. You want to talk about that for a sec? Sure. So we've had different senators come and speak at our events. And one of them was like, you know, what would you do differently or what would you want? And um, this was maybe nine months ago. And I said, you know, it would be what I would like is a sober section inside venues over 10,000 people. Like it could be 5%. I don't care what the number is, but just, you know, kind of help us um, get a foothold in this. And he's like, well, are you ready to, you know, help promote this? And I said, you know, we're really not ready at this time to really kind of step up 
And then he uh, reached out again this past December and I said, what do you think? And um, 45 pounds of fentanyl had just been uh, taken off the streets and arrested here in Longmont, Colorado. And I thought, yeah, you know, that it, we're done waiting. Like this war has washed across our shores and is taking out 100,000 kids in the United States every single day. Um, and uh, there's another 180,000 who OD and are revived by an emergency room. So that's basically 800 people per day are either dying of overdose or overdosing and being revived in a um, ambulance or an emergency room. So I was like, yeah, we're ready. So um, we're there in the process of uh, finalizing the bill. We have three senators who will sponsor it. And then we're hoping Colorado becomes the first state with a mandatory sober section of 5% uh, of venues over 10,000 people. So um, ideally, this is um, kind of the beginning of a national movement, really grassroots, um, and we'll find out if there is a community that really wants a sober section. And I think it's much larger than just the recovery community. I think there is a great deal of people, you know, 10x outside of the recovery community that really would like the option um, not to be around whiskey drunk guy. And they would like to be able to go um, to a concert or a sporting event and not have to worry about um you know, somebody else ruining it um, for uh, for being overserved alcohol, which is, uh, you know, obviously everywhere. Yeah. And that kind of goes into what I was thinking. Are you seeing family, people bringing their families uh, to your events so that, that as a youth family unit, they can enjoy the the game and everything that goes with it, minus the bad stuff? Are you seeing families attending? So. Uh, Jeff, not as much as I thought we might, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I, maybe it's because that's who we've really marketed to is more kind of the recovery alumni organizations. Um, and we're trying to pivot out of that and really get a, a much wider base. I would say ideally, yes, we will. And I think having this um, law passed might really help a great deal of getting um, a much larger group to hear about it and be able to opt into purchase tickets in uh, the sober section. Um, we do have a lot of uh, repeat uh, customers, so I'm really excited about that. Um, but it's more of a, you know, uh, mid-20s to mid-30-year-old who likes a certain genre of music and is in recovery and um, loves the fact that we're at a couple different festivals that they like and um, they'll show up. Or, uh, you know, somebody's gone to the baseball game every year. Um, so, uh, you know, I think ideally what we want to do is host 30 events a year and then have the community host 300 events a year all over the U.S. and um, really kind of get the word out of Sober AF Entertainment and people can go there and find some really fun sober support in their area. And if not, they can host their own and te- we'll teach them how to do it. What kind of feedback are you getting from the folks that are participating? I mean, it's great that you're getting uh, repeat customers. Those are your best customers. They spread the word. So they do, and they they love us. And I'm sure um, 
you know, I would say uh, there's obviously 90% is positive and 10% is, you know, we need to do a better job of telling people what we're about to do instead of what we've done. Um, you know, they would like to see a, a year-long schedule announced at the beginning of the year and not, you know, bits and pieces during the year. Um, and, you know, it's just interesting, like different communities are a little more geared towards um, helping people in that community, meaning kind of like the Cleasure Recovery doesn't really want to stick their neck out and do events for everyone. It's really for their students, typically. Um, and that might fall under some some other groups when we're um, trying to do a, uh, you know, a music event um, at a festival. And um, there are other uh, like harm reduction groups that um, aren't as sober. Well, uh, it, it's just kind of interesting working with harm reduction and, you know, say, hey, look, we're in a different swim lane, but we're kind of under the same tent. You know, we'll uh, we'll bring Narcan, we'll bring earplugs, we'll have recovery support, um, but we're you know not a, a clean needle exchange, mm-hmm. um, and uh, just kind of the different pushback that we can get from um, different uh, communities, um, which I think is super important. I'm glad we're both there at the same festival, you know. Um, and it's kind of just a, a different, uh, service that we're offering. You know, we're all about, uh, kind of abstinence for that day and ask mm-hmm. people, you know, if you're coming to hang out in our tent, we would like you to not be high and not be drunk and, um, you know, come find some recovery support and get your recovery battery charged up. Um, and, you know, this is not a, you know, don't do hard drugs, smoke weed, community you know this is a group that um if we smoke weed other things are bound to happen so we're trying to you know give support to the person who uh doesn't um want to smoke weed at that moment so you know we're not anti-drug or anti-alcohol we're just pro sober fun and And um, that's the mission is a huge aspect that is often missed um in certain social movements in there's a big push here in Connecticut for recovery-friendly workplaces. And one of the things that I like that they're doing is they're not saying you have to change all workplace practices. They're saying you have to take into account that there are going to be people in recovery and you have to make sure their needs are met. So if you have an office cocktail party, have an alternative for the people that don't want to go. Um, but there are some people who see it as all or nothing. And clearly you're not saying that. You're saying be abstinent for the day with us. Right. And others can do their own thing. We go to Coors Field, right? We are going to a music festival sponsored by Tito's, right? So we get that um, those um, brands are going to be a prominent part of the festival. And that's great because they pay for a lot of things, right? We're just trying to um, help the kid who does... Um, plan on not drinking or mm-hmm. not getting high feel like he's the loser or he's the he's the weirdo right um i think we've all had that experience you walk in and you're the only person sober at an event and um, you can feel like you're the weirdo somehow by not being high not being drunk and we just want that 
person and community to know that's not the case. There's a lot of us out there. And um, some of us can't drink because bad things happened. And other people don't want to drink because they were, you know, that's their um, wellness plan, which is great. And how do we kind of help that, that community get through the first 10 minutes or half hour of an event that can be awkward? And if they get through the awkwardness, then it's easy. And the second time's easier. And then the third time's easier. And you kind of get to this point that you can walk up to a tailgate and there's, you know, booze and drugs all around you and you don't even see it, right? It's just skull and crossbones and you're looking for your buddies and um, where can I get a, you know, a Pepsi or a fizzy water or something that, uh, you know, will uh, let me do what I'm supposed to do here, which is have fun and get some food and drink in my belly. I think it's a good time to, uh, to share something that you and I had talked about a little bit last week, and that is um, trying to put together or gauging the interest in putting together something here in Connecticut um, at a football game, um, in the, whether it be BC at UConn or my personal favorite for it, uh, Harvard at Yale this year which is always a big event in connecticut um so hopefully in november of 2023 we have an opportunity to to work together and and have an event for the people in in the northeast um i know that there are a lot of alumni of both schools yale and harvard who are who are in recovery or just choose not to drink this may be a great opportunity and i'm going to work with you on gauging interest from the university Etc. But I think it's important that we tell people out there that, hey, we're looking at making this local for the folks here in Connecticut. Hell yes, Jeff. We are doing this. <laughs> you know, it doesn't take much. Um, we were really fortunate. I want to give a shout out to Holy Cross. They reached out to us two years ago. We sent them T-shirts and kind of walked them through what a sober tailgate looks like. They did it. They had an alumni come by, love what they were doing, write a check so they could do future ones. And now they have a sober uh, support uh, tailgate before all their home games, which includes like food trucks and bouncy castles and all kinds of craziness that they have. So um, Holy Cross was playing Harvard, H-A-R-V-V-A-R-D. Um, for that first game when uh, we sent them the T-shirts. And uh, it's, it's really taken off at uh, Holy Cross. So we would love to do the Harvard-Yale game in 2023. So um, we need some help in uh, making some connections there and making it really cool. Um, we're also going to be in Phoenix for the Super Bowl. So we're hosting a sober Super Bowl party in awesome. Phoenix maybe three miles from the stadium at a sober CrossFit gym. Um, so super excited about that. We're going to have a bunch of uh, ex-NFL players at it. Um, we did this um, in Tampa Bay for the Super Bowl two years ago, and we had uh, Miss America 2020 speak at the event. We had the drug czar uh, speak at the event. We had um, three different musicians play at the event. Um, we had some former NFL players speak at that event. So. That is the goal, and we'll be able to put that on Facebook Live. So if you need a cool, sober tailgate before the Super Bowl, check out our Facebook page, Sober AF Entertainment, and uh, you'll be able to see all this craziness that we're pulling off. 
one of the interesting things you just said was CrossFit. Uh, on this podcast a couple of years ago, I interviewed a researcher from Texas A&M who found a CrossFit sober community and it was really a recovery support and they were building and they were trying to get some evidence to support it, to get to get some funds to do it. And uh, it was really an interesting conversation how they kind of just formed their own community at this CrossFit uh, to support with the goal of obviously improving health, but helping them support recovery. Um, and it's become an evidence-based practice. So that's exciting. Um, well, we do know we need community. We need exercise. Um, you need some healthy habits to kind of keep our mental health strong enough um, to be able to uh, say no to that um, uh, wiring we have in our brain that is, um, you know, alcohol will fix any any sadness I got going on. Well, in New Haven, the belief is pizza will will solve any sadness I got going on. And it works pretty well. Uh, some they're of the right. greatest pizza yes, in the world is right. there in New Haven. Yeah. They need it. Yeah. Um, one final question. If you could host an event, what would be the dream venue and event for Sober AF to be involved in? Um, so I would love to do a, I'm just really kind of thinking regionally, love to do a Patriots game where we have a sober tailgate beforehand and we have Gronk and Tom Brady speak at it. And then we have some seats uh, together and uh, we get to sing the national anthem. And really, what's perfect for me would be able to really promote some type of recovery support. So have some buy-in from the uh, the stadium or the league that uh, with recovery appreciation night. And how do we get you know different um, communities in the area that are doing the work? Um, kind of highlighted so everyone learns about them is is, is really the, the long-term goal. I have a friend that's connected with many individuals in the NFL who found recovery um, and has some pull. So that recovery uh, appreciation, I might have to talk to him about that. Come on, Jeff, what are we doing? Let's get him on the phone. <laughs> I was hoping that for the dream event, you were going to say the Irish kicking the pants off of BC at Notre Dame Stadium. <laughs> Uh, we're working on the USC game and uh, the Ohio State game for this coming year. So Two we got cool venues. stuff in the works. Yeah. Yes. Well, Duke, I want to thank you for spending some time with us. I think this is great. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, it's SoberAFEntertainment.com. So SoberAFE.com. Oh, SoberAFE. So SoberAF, which means sober and fun. Wink, yeah. wink. Not yeah, of course. Um, e <laughs> So if you Google or if you just do sober AF, you end up on some woman selling makeup in L.A. So you need to remember the E, soberaf.com. I'll make sure I put the appropriate link on the marketing uh, flyer that we send out for this podcast. So thanks for joining us. Enjoy your time in Florida. Will do. Appreciate you. Thanks, buddy. And uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Scope of Practice. We appreciate everyone who's listening. Again, thank you very much. I'd like to, again, offer my thanks to Duke for taking the time to join us and talk about these great opportunities that he's created. Stay tuned for more information as we move forward with our plans to host the Sober AF Entertainment event here at the Yale Bowl. We'll see if we can make that happen, and we'll catch you all next time. Until then, be safe, be healthy, and be a good human. 